Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today's guest is an innovation strategist and self-described generative AI enthusiast. Among her many roles in the legal world, Terry Mottershead is the executive director of the Center for Legal Innovation at the College of Law. After several years in private practice, she transitioned into professional development and lawyer training. Terry has led or taught on practical legal education initiatives in law schools in Asia, Australia, and the U.S., For more than a decade, she's been a consultant to legal professionals and organizations around the world, focusing on matters such as strategic and business planning, innovation, and change management. At the CLI, Terry supports leaders of legal businesses with identifying trends, developing strategies, and transforming their capabilities and practices to deliver legal services and products in new ways. In addition, she's a blogger and serves on numerous boards and organizations in the legal industry. Among other things, in our conversation, Terry discusses how the CLI brings people on the journey of transformation, her thoughts on the future of law schools, what makes her enthusiastic about generative AI, and why she chose to pursue the innovation path. Thanks so much for taking a listen. Terry, how are you? Thanks for joining today. Fantastic, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here. I appreciate it. I know it's I know it's early down under. Uh, it's good. It's good. Not too early. I've got coffee, so we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good way to start the day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Terry, let's let's start a little bit about you. You're the executive director for the Center for Legal Innovation at the College of Law, as well as the founder of Modders Head Consulting. Let's start with the Center for Legal Innovation. Give us the basics for our U.S.-centric audience. What is it? What's its purpose? Where is it? What does it cover? Yeah, absolutely. It's a think tank. So what we do is that we tend to monitor the trends of change and transformation, shall we say, in the the legal ecosystem, and then we translate those into bite-sized action steps for people in practice, so lawyers and all of our wonderful allied legal professionals as well as our wonderful lawyers. And for us, that means that we kind of kind of deal with those topics in a bunch of different ways. So it might be awareness raising, might be through a webinar online, or we might do something in person, or it might be intermediate. So that translates to a workshop Perhaps it's a summit, something like that, or a round table, or it will be advanced. So we're, we're kind of hopefully bringing people on the journey of transformation at whatever stage they're at and whatever the subject matter is that we're dealing with. We are fully funded by the College of Law. So that means that we are strongly kind of founded in education and learning and knowledge and experience transfer. And that's really a big focus for us that connecting people transferring knowledge and experience and and really we hope getting people to collaborate together. So we're going to talk about generative AI here in a moment because that's what would a podcast be if we didn't talk about generative AI? <laughs> so, so true, so true, yeah. <laughs> but, but let's go back into the world before uh, ChatGPT uh, uh, sort of changed things. Give us an example of sort of a trend you saw and how you translated that into some of the action items. Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the ones that we did recently, and, you know, it's a trend 
in the US and across the world is really the depth and breadth of people now working in the legal ecosystem. We used to think of it really as being almost a single profession, lawyers, but of course we've seen come into that now data scientists, I guess, in particular, legal operations professionals. We've seen knowledge management and talent management professionals and finance people for a long time, but we've just seen that group growing all the time. So we identified that as a trend. And what we decided to do is actually create a summit where all of those different and new, we call them often new law careers, could be showcased We could talk to people about what they are, explain what these people do, and so raise awareness, but also at the same time showcase these folks. So we held a summit and we had lots of people come along to that. It was virtual, so people could learn that. And we've followed that up with a series of clinics. So we've got clinics at the moment, for example. So you get that base knowledge and then you can come and kind of collect with your people, so to speak, your your tribe of folks who delve into things like legal ops and legal design thinking and legal tech. And then, of course, we run various seminars or whatever throughout the course of the year. So from idea, if you like, to reality, and again, hitting all of those levels in that new law career space. That's awesome. Now, I know you cover a lot of areas of the world. You're not just Australia-focused or New Zealand-focused. You've got Asia, you've got the U.S. You sort of cover the globe. Talk to us a little bit in a couple of ways. Talk about the commonalities and differences you see in legal transformation in various regions of the world. And so how how do you take that into account as you're looking to build these educational components? Yes, it's, it's a great question. And it's a hard one to answer because in many cases, in any one country or particularly any one region, the uptake of innovation in its broadest sense and legal tech and AI isn't the same. And it's true, it's as true in the, in the States, for example, as it is in Australia. There are, for example, those folks, and we touched on Gen AI that are embracing it. They're all over it. And that might depend on the size of the firm or it might depend on the industry that you're working in. But there are other folks that are not. Now, all of the conditions are the same within that particular country for groups of people, but there are other things that kind of stand in the way, if you like, of doing that. So I guess if we were to take a really broad brush approach, those folks that have most access, for example, to technology, those folks that have particularly most access to funding for particularly the development of that technology and are willing and interested to basically jump in and do something with it, they're the ones in any one particular country or region that at the moment are jumping ahead. Those folks for which the opposite is true are the ones that don't have the access to be able to jump in and do that necessarily, but they may be in countries or regions that are receiving funding to encourage them to embrace it. So it's hard to determine, I think, in all honesty, a pattern where one group is jumping ahead of the other, apart from those access issues that I spoke to. Because I'm finding certainly in terms of law, it's as much about mindset and being open to change and adaptability in any one country or region as it is almost having access to the ability to be able to do that. But I think you could say, having said all of that, obviously the US is jumping ahead. Obviously places in Europe, particularly the UK, is jumping ahead. 
I would say in Australia, we have a very vibrant and competitive environment as well. So where I think possibly even doing better than you'd expect us to, given the number of people in the country. So it really does depend. So I hate to give you that answer because it sounds like a lawyer's answer, doesn't it? It depends, but. (laughs) Well, you know, when you talk to lawyers, you expect lawyers' answers, you know. Uh, How much of your time is spent, I'm curious from what you said, in addition to regional differences, there's also, particularly if you look in the States and I, I think other countries, there's sort of the business-to-business delivery of legal services, sort of big law kind of things. And then there's sole practitioners. Then there's all access to justice, the consumer use of the, of the legal system, which obviously has a whole level of complexity to innovation and transformation. How much of your time is spent in the what we refer to in the States as the A to J space? versus sort of the business-to-business space? Yeah. We would spend the majority of our time in the business-to-business space, but we certainly also spend time in the A to J space. And for me, it's kind of like really important to be looking at both of those together because I, I, I think, you know, for a long time, I think we could say in the in the legal industry, and I think it's true pretty much anywhere in the world, we haven't been servicing the majority of the population. You know, that number sits at somewhere around 15 or 20%. And we've still got this huge number of people requiring access to legal assistance in one way, shape or form, and we're not servicing it. So I see the two as being intricately connected in that if we can transform the practice of law, then we are at the same time potentially transforming the ability to service what is a majority of underserviced people in the population. So we see them often running hand in hand. Our focus is trying to get the law firms, if you like, and in-house counsel and the broader legal ecosystem working as effectively and efficiently as possible, but introducing them to the opportunities to do more for the folks that are underserviced and likewise supporting access to justice for the folks that don't have it as well. So we do work with both groups, but for us, most of the time is spent in, if you like, the business of law space. One of the things you said was that one of the key differentiators is mindsets. Yeah. Even putting aside funding, obviously, is always an issue. You always need money. But that resonates with me because that's my experience as well, that the biggest change variable is mindset. How do you go about driving the right kind of mindset for people to facilitate transformation, to facilitate change in the industry? It's a great question, Stephen. It's a really big ship to turn around because I think the the mindset change is across the entire ecosystem. You know, it's starting at the legal education phase, perhaps it even starts before that with folks that are actually choosing and why they're choosing to undertake the law all the way through wherever those tentacles go, you know, in the legal ecosystem. So it's a massive, massive thing to turn around. I think that we all studied law. I certainly did. I'm sure it's true for you as well, because we had a fundamental desire to serve. I think that's why people undertake the law. I'm sure there's some that don't, but I think the vast majority think that way. And for me, it's tapping back into that. It's tapping into why we did this in the first place. And are we really fulfilling that initial initiative or dream? And if we're not, what can we do about that? 
And I think that means that we have to think differently, really differently than we have before, because some of the issues, many of the issues that we're talking about now are systemic now that we have to turn around. And so it's really, I think, tapping back into that. I think that we also have new generations entering the legal industry that think quite differently for whom serving basically people and really looking at a different value proposition, both for themselves and for the the organisations that they join, particularly looking at whether those organisations have a purpose and have a connection with their community. That's very important. And they're willing basically to not be employed in those organisations that don't demonstrate that purpose. So there's that same commitment, but I think also now the opportunity to pursue that in a bunch of different ways. So if they don't find it somewhere, they'll go somewhere else the where they can find it. But I think it's also for us, it is really tapping back into that reason that we all went into law in the first place, starting there, starting where we all started in the beginning. Where do you see change necessary? Let, let's start at not quite at the beginning, but you're, you're, you're connected to College of Law. So I'll, I'll start with, with law schools. Law schools are notoriously change resistant. There aren't that many that have transformational initiatives like the College of, of Law does. Where do you see law schools going in the next few years in terms of their willingness to change and rethink their curriculum and the skills they're teaching people and facilitating? I think there's going to be increasing pressure on law schools to change. I think we're already seeing it at the moment. We're seeing it probably most particularly around digital literacy skills. And we've seen also seen a response to that, to be fair, by a lot of law schools, not necessarily taking all of that mainstream. We've more often seen that a focus, particularly on legal technology and now increasingly AI, not necessarily pervasive across every course or program within the law school, but it's an elective or it's a clinic or it's kind of what I refer to as a bolt-on versus mainstream. The change that I see is that it will go mainstream. It has to. And I think increasingly that what we'll see is more of a the client focus coming into the problem solving that we do at law school or how we consider what we do at law school. So even adding a question to a problem, we often say in law school when we add a question to something, it's like, you know, what are, what are the legal issues here? How would a lawyer solve it? Adding a question that's as simple as, and how would this impact our clients? How would our clients approach this? So to, to infuse that with that more client-centric approach. So I think we're going to see a lot of the legal tech and AI become mainstream. It's going to be what we do, not just in how we do our legal research, but actually increasingly in the tasks that we do. And I think that's going to herald another quite large reform, which is in law school, we're going to basically be much more experiential in terms of the learning that we do. So rather than learning a bunch of theory and then hopefully applying that in a few years' time when we go out and practice, we're going to increasingly do that side by side. We'll learn the theory, we'll do, we'll reflect on it, we'll get feedback on it, and then we'll kind of move into the next task and so forth. So I think that combination, that blend, if you like, almost of what we would have referred to as skills with theory, that's going to be blended together. And I think particularly we're going to see things like technology, legal tech, AI, and also more of a client focus come into that as well. 
The client focus point you make, I think, is a, is a brilliant one uh, because it caused me to think back on my law school days, which were quite a while ago. But I don't recall ever being asked that question, that simple question no. that you asked, which is, what, what does it mean for the client? And, and that carries through into the practice, doesn't it? You have That's a skill that you have to learn and have to be trained. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we sometimes try to make it too hard. It's like, we've got to change this assessment. We've got to change all of these regulations and whatever the case may be. It's like, okay, but could we just ask that question in between? <laughs> because you know, it's not that difficult. And, and I'm the same, Stephen. Look, I when I studied contract law, we actually never saw a contract, never actually looked at a contract. You know, I don't think we did either. No. Studying lots of case law, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, oh, and what does a contract actually look like? And for someone like me in the way that I learn, frankly, had I seen a contract, the principles and the concepts that I was learning, I would have actually understood those a lot better if I could have seen them in the context. And I think that's the other big thing, the context in which that law operated. So I, I think I'm hopeful and I think we're seeing green shoots of change. You folks in the States have been amazing with the clinical programs that you run and your law schools in particular. They've really been focusing on this stuff. And I think the learning opportunities for students, particularly in those jurisdictions where you've got regulatory sandboxes, where there's opportunities for students to kind of broaden their experience and qualify in a way that allows them to provide and support folks with legal advice. I think that's really, you know, that's the education that we're looking for going forward. It's encouraging to me. I've talked to a number of people over the last couple of years who've gone into law school, have gotten inspired to change and either sort of immediately gone into a startup phase or practice for a few years and then gone into something applying technology or access to justice issues, trying to think differently about the way services are delivered, particularly from the client's standpoint. So so your point about a new generation thinking differently, I think, is is well made. Yeah, absolutely. Let's sort of pull at the thread of generative AI because you we we've mentioned oh, no. touch Well no, well <laughs> No, I'm joking. I think there's a law that says every podcast now has to have at least one segment about generative AI. All right, Ben. Well, let's let's be fair. You do hold yourself out as a generative AI enthusiast. I know. I am. I am. I'm an enthusiast. What makes you so enthusiastic about generative AI and the impact it has on the profession? I'm excited, inspired, and in awe pretty much every day in terms of how much this space is changing. And what I'm excited about is how it is going to be a massive change, how much that is going to change our industry for the better, not just for the clients that we serve. And of course, that's predominantly what we're all focused on, as we said earlier, but for us as well as professionals and what it will truly support us to be able to do. So, you know, we're looking at this array of tools that kind of grow in number literally every day that will increasingly take out of the work that we did those things that are most routine and those things where, to my mind, we never added our best value. So putting in variables in a document or filling in intake forms kind of by hand or pretty much by that, that's not where we add our value and that's not where we're most needed. Where we're most needed is on 
solving complex problems, which, by the way, lawyers are great at as our allied legal professionals. Being with our clients and understanding their business, customising our services for their needs and really living that role that we all, I think, aspire to of that true trusted advisor, that person who is wise and has the experience to help us, to guide us through difficult times, make good choices and make good decisions. I'm excited in a way about the ability of this technology to take us where we always hoped to be going, but also to service our clients better and to allow us to do the things that engage us most and add value. So there's a lot to be excited about. I agree with you. And I, I know you also run a consulting company, and I presume you work with clients along this particular journey as well. So how do you respond to, and I, by the way, I agree with everything you just said. Well, let me play devil's advocate for a minute because I've, I've heard this push as well. Okay, it allows us to be free to do the more complex tasks. But part of the way people become capable of doing complex tasks is by doing some of the routine, mind-numbing work that allows you to understand how these pieces fit together. The training of young lawyers. So how do you advise clients to rethink that approach, to re imagine how people develop and grow in an era of generative AI? It's a great question. And it's one that we haven't resolved yet. It's going to need more work. But I guess that the way that I look at it is this, that in that question and for the folks that pose it, sometimes there's the assumption that those tasks look the same as they always did and they don't. So to take a really, really, I guess, familiar example now, around how we do things like document review, for example. Now, you and I, Stephen, unfortunately, probably were of that generation that sat in the room with those dusty boxes and had to physically go through every one of those documents. It was mind-numbing, and I'm not sure how much I learned after the first box or two or ten, but I had to keep going for lots more boxes. And so I, we don't do it that way anymore. We obviously deploy technology to do that now. So the task is not the same, but understanding what sits behind that task, for example, being able to, I guess, almost interrogate in a forensic way how the model that's reviewing those documents has been put together, how it's operating, whether it's accurate, seeing all the data and all of the amazing bits and pieces that data analysts and computer scientists love to see and understanding that, that's important now. So it's not important to sit in the room and look at those documents. It's important now to understand the technology that's being used and whether or not it's accurately delivering the result that you want to. The task is still the same. We're doing document review, but we're doing it in a very different way. So do I learn more or less by going back to looking at a documents in a box? I would say to you, no, I don't. I have to understand the process. I have to understand the law behind it. I have to actually have additional skills now in order to be able to be engaged with this, but I don't necessarily have to look at every one of those documents. Similarly, I have a smartphone. I don't know how it works behind the scenes, but I know how to make it operate. So I think the task is starting at a different point. There are additional skills with respect to that that we've never had to have before. What I need to know and what I need to be taught and what I need to learn is how to support and undertake that task, how it's done today, 
not how it's done yesterday. But the fundamentals of understanding what's behind that task, yes, I still have to know that, but they're not the same either. So I think that for folks that are entering the profession, for example, now entering the industry now, there's a need to contemporize what that learning looks like and to understand that it is different and not lament something that probably wasn't particularly, certainly not as effective and efficient as computer or technology-assisted tasks now anyway. We're just working a different way. And we can take that example into any task, any task at all that a lawyer does, and we will have tech tools and AI that will be sitting alongside us, our co-pilots, to deliver legal services, products and solutions in the same way. So they're different. So I think they're still going to learn, but they're going to learn different things in a different way. I think that's absolutely right. And yes, like you, I spent my time sitting in warehouses looking at dusty boxes. And I can remember living through the, I can remember living through this argument about how will we train lawyers if they're not sitting in. And I would sit there and go, well, you can ask me because I didn't learn anything after about box one. Except get me out of here. I don't want to Except do this. Except get me out of here and, and put a mask on me because everything's dusty. The, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background, Terry. You, you've obviously sort of built a big name and reputation in the innovation space. You started, oh, thank you. you started as a practicing lawyer. I did. And, and then for a while, you, you worked in professional development and training of lawyers and a number of things. Talk a little bit about those career transitions and sort of what led you to being so interested and involved in transformation innovation efforts. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. I love the law. And many of my best friends are lawyers, people that I met at law school and have met since and who are still practicing or have gone into a bunch of different allied legal professionals. So, you know, I am, I really do love the law. And I think that together with that, although, you know, this is 2020 hindsight, I think, there was always that burning desire to learn, curiosity and asking the question why, which I'm sure is incredibly annoying to most people (laughs) that I know. (laughs) But and so I think I think that's really been fundamental for me in terms of what I've done. So I started practicing in Australia, just loved that idea of constantly searching for knowledge and answers and curiosity and actually became a pracademic. So I actually taught practice in Hong Kong. And from that, that kind of combination of practice, teaching it and education is what took me into professional development. Really, it seemed to combine those two things. But I have to say this, both seeing our industry changing or transforming into an ecosystem, that really became very stark and apparent to me probably about eight or 10 years ago. And the other thing that was really apparent was that there was just no support for that, that people were going through this massive change or transition which is just kind of picked up in pace and depth and breadth, frankly. But there wasn't that support. So I approached the College of Law. I'd moved back to Australia then from the States and approached the College of Law. And I was very fortunate that they also saw the opportunity to be able to support the industry. And we established the Centre for Legal Innovation. Now, I started that a little over seven years ago, and it was just a blank screen. There was nothing on it. 
it was like we've, we've got to do something to support folks. Again, founded in that education piece. What can we do? How can we, how can we support that? So, you know, I went and asked people, what can we do? How can we support you? Um, and that's really how the center grew, literally from those conversations. And, you know, we've built a learning community now, as you said earlier, a global learning community now that engages and connects or has with more than a hundred thousand people in over a hundred countries, but it grew from nothing literally nothing. And in that respect, we have grown to support, but we've also grown with the folks who are also transforming the industry. So we've all grown up together. And that's been an amazing supporting and generous community to be part of and contributing to, and I hope supporting. So for me, it started right at the basics with that curiosity, that thirst to understand why, and I guess being comfortable with change. And then finding, finding through practice, education, supporting change through education in professional development kind of took me more squarely into that innovation space. You know, you mentioned curiosity and I'm, I'm always struck when people tell me that because I think it's, it's an underappreciated characteristic of, of people that I find some people just, they're just curious cats. They just want to ask why. They want to understand why something can't be better. And I find those people to be really at the leading edge of, of change who have that characteristic. And I'm not sure we I'm not sure we look for that enough in lawyers and allied professionals as much as we should uh, in the business. Yeah. I think we almost almost sometimes and I don't know that we do it intentionally, we almost stomp it out. Because the folks that we promote, for example, to partners are folks that follow a certain formula. But if we look at, let's take a law firm, for example, we look at a law firm today, the very people that you want are the ones that don't fall into that category, that are thinking quite differently, that are looking to transform and change. And you want to retain them as your entrepreneurs because you really don't want them going outside and becoming entrepreneurs and becoming your competition. But we haven't done that. We've tended to filter people out if they were different and almost clone, in a way, those folks that are advanced in the law firm. So, and seeing the other folks, that would be me, as I said earlier, just annoying, really. Because we keep asking questions. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't find I don't find it annoying at all. Although perhaps people use that same description of me. I don't know. Excellent. Uh, I know we've run over our time, but it's just one last question for you, Terry. Sort of moving back, I think you would agree that, particularly with generative AI, we've seen the pace of change pick up dramatically, particularly on the technology front. I mean, and you've got. 100,000 people that are networking in multiple jurisdictions, things happening. How do you keep abreast of the change, given how fast it's it's moving? How do you keep up to speed with what's going on and what's new? And how do you manage that information flow? Well, I don't, probably, is the answer <laughs> to that. <laughs> well, well, at least you're honest about it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think we've, look, at the center, we've taken the approach and it and it has to be, I think everyone has to find their own part here. You know, are you kind of just bringing trends to people's attention as soon as they arise? And to some extent, we try to do that. But for me, 
it's almost trying to walk walk a middle ground. So we watch, we monitor what's happening and then pull from that when when it looks to be a trend, pull that out and then do something with it. So explain to people what is it that this trend is about? What does it actually mean to you? What do you need to focus on? So we're very much kind of walking that middle ground and really looking to educate, inform, get people to share experience, connect when it has emerged as a trend. We're certainly, we're watching the cutting edge stuff we have to, because otherwise we can't see if it's consolidating into a trend, but also providing quality, credible information. I think that's really important as well, particularly in a world, you know, increasingly full of misinformation or disinformation. I think that's really important. So for me, how do I do that? I read a huge amount. A good hour, two hours of every one of my days is reading through the news headlines, understanding or pulling things together that are connected. And I don't think that you can do it any any other way, really. It's really having to engage with and keep engaged with what's happening in the market. But having said that, there is so much happening in the market that I would honestly defy any anyone that would say, you know, listen, I'm up to date with everything that's happening around the globe in generative AI every second of the day. It's not possible. It's just simply not possible. So you have to choose your sources, make sure that they do fall into that credible category and just read and immerse yourself in that at least a couple of hours a day. And then for the rest of my day, it's about talking with people. And it's about understanding how it's impacting them on a day-to-day basis, learning from them what they're doing and why things matter. So I guess getting the information, but then testing it and asking questions about it and listening and understanding how that's impacting people. And that's probably the other eight hours of my day, pretty much. So I'm on this probably eight to 10 hours a day, pretty much seven days a week. And I will happily, as I said at the beginning, say to you, I'm not covering everything. Absolutely not. We live in interesting times, don't we? Fantastically interesting times. Terry, thank you so much for the conversation. I appreciate your time and and your insights. It's been been wonderful. And uh, I need to let you get to the rest of your day because your day is just starting. It is indeed. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.